Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's April the 8th, 2022. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, we did uh, an interview with the English uh, political economist, Helen Thompson, about whether or not uh, Vladimir Putin is returning the world to the hard times of the 1970s. It was a rather depressing uh, conversation because it seems as if Helen, who teaches political economy at Cambridge, believes that things are going to get a lot worse in the world. Uh, she has a new book out, Disorder, Hard Times in the 21st Century. She's my age or perhaps a little less old than I am, but certainly in the older generation. What I thought we would do today is talk to two people who are much younger, who have been very brave. They're starting a new magazine called Panoramic. They're both, uh, I think one of them just graduated from Cambridge. The other is still at Cambridge. They're both talking to me from London. Um, and the subtitle of Panoramic is Global Issues, Local Voices. It's not very glamorous. It's very much in contrast, I think, with the sorts of books that we've been dealing with recently. Um, we did a, an interview, for example, a couple of weeks ago with the Oxford classicist Daisy Dunn, her new book, uh, Not Far From Brideshead, uh, Oxford Between the Wars, presents Oxford as a very glittering place. My sense about um, my guests today, uh, Maddie and Anya is they view the world very differently from the sort of glamorous way in which Oxford and Cambridge students thought of themselves um, a century ago. Uh, who wants to kick off here, Maddie or Anya, in terms of your sense of the zeitgeist, of why you started this magazine and what's gone wrong with the world? Or perhaps I'm misrepresenting you. No, I think I think that is true to an extent. I think me and Anya met. We're obviously both studying political sciences at the University of Cambridge, and we had both lived abroad for extended periods of time. And we kind of both felt that the Cambridge ecosystem really had like a lack of diversity in terms of the way in which people viewed the world. And we really wanted to insert a much more um, global perspective into Cambridge and kind of like unsettle the prevailing Western discourse, if you like, and try and get people around us to start thinking about things just a little bit differently, thinking about how other people see things from around the world. And that's really what we wanted to do with Panoramic. Uh, Anya, do you want to add something here in terms of what um, what Maddie Yeah, no, absolutely. I think for us, it was really important. I think something you've just said is that there's this kind of glamour to kind of Oxford and Cambridge and the kind of journals that they publish, but we kind of wanted to make a more international platform and something a little bit more accessible for everyone to read and actually also write in. So kind of this vision of democratising journalism, and that's kind of where we started with ideas-wise and kind of growing that a little bit as well. So, yeah, I think... You're very brave. Uh, I have a great deal of respect for the two of you to start a physical magazine, which, of course, also exists online, lots of stuff online. But um, did some people try and dissuade you? Did they say you were crazy? For starting a, I think it was an interesting choice to go into print now because obviously we started digitally in October, 2020. We published five issues digitally. And then we thought we took a large break and we thought, 
what are we going to do different this time? And we decided, let's send it to print, which is kind of an interesting decision, given the fact that we're claiming to be an international platform. But I think what we wanted to do was we eventually are trying to create this online immersive digital experience for everyone to kind of be able to go online and kind of experience an issue. So like a few articles with different writers and different videos all in kind of one sitting is the idea. So we thought we're going to kind of really perfect our print issue as it is. And then the idea is to kind of evolve that and take it online, if you see what I mean. Maddie, um, something must have been missing from traditional journalism, from serious magazines like The Economist or Prospect or The New Republic, as well as the newspapers. Where did you feel uh, you had something to say that wasn't already being said with uh, with Panoramic? Yeah, I think I think obviously me and Anya, we do consume all of these kind of news say from the economist etc and we really enjoy that but what we felt like was missing was kind of the perspective of young people and that's obviously somewhere where we can really step up as young people ourselves and we know how to kind of like get in touch with young people and get them excited about things and so we felt like there was a gap there that we really were passionate about filling because after all we are I mean the the future is ours if you like and it would be really great to to have young people be able to help to shape that future in a way that is is good for everyone. Maddie, I, I didn't want to lead with the idea of your magazine being for young people because I was concerned it might sound a little patronizing, but you brought it up. <laughs> and it's clear on the masthead that you're designing this magazine for young people. It's not for old farts like myself. Um, what's missing in terms of young people? And of course, the follow-up question, which I'm sure everybody asks you is, is there a generational issue culturally, politically in the world today? Do young people think differently? We're not living in the 1960s anymore. It's not a rebellion, but there's certainly something going on in terms of the the discord, the distrust between generations. Um, well, I think, I guess, I do think that young people, you, you can start to see that issues like the environment, young people do tend to be a lot more passionate about them in their day-to-day -day lives. And that's obviously because we, we're gonna feel the sort of tangible effects. And in fact, young people and people all over the world are starting to feel the, the tangible effects of climate change already. Um, but I don't think it's insurmountable whatsoever. I think obviously people like to draw these very sharp contrasts, young people versus old people, but it's actually not realistic because obviously there's a whole group of people in between. Um, so yeah, I, do, I think, um, I think we are able to sort of overcome that through just platforming uh, young people as well as older people and kind of giving them the chance to start the conversation. And I think that's what Panoramic is really about as well. You know, we don't only expect it to be read by young people, although that is potentially more of our target audience in the sense of what it looks like, et cetera. But we have also had interest from some older readers in the sense that they really want to understand what our generation is, uh, is passionate about and is thinking about for the future. Um, and this is a great way to kind of like get an overview, if you like. Anya, perhaps you might say something about, um, Maddie mentioned the environment. Is this, do you think, the defining issue for your generation? Again, I'm using that term. I, I'm sure you, you don't expect to be the voice of your generation. Uh, nobody is. We've done so many shows on the environment recently with Tony Hiss on giving the planet back on 
uh, Hannah Tester on saving the earth, the plastics industry, uh, with John Reed on saving big forests, on uh, Eugene Linden last week uh, on why the path to a livable future is becoming narrow and narrow. Why do you think your generation has, and, and correct me please if I'm wrong, has made this their defining issue? Um, I wouldn't say that this is the defining issue. And I actually think that in a lot of ways, we do have quite a fleeting attitude to what is the defining issue. And the defining issue is climate change for a period. And it's like race for a period. And it can be a whole host of things. And I think some of the problems that we experience as kind of the social media generation is that we sort of very in in kind of a bit of a futile manner at points will kind of flip from issue to issue and at times not really come to a conclusion and I think something that we wanted to promote was a platform for a little bit more thoughtful thinking because I think there are spaces online like Twitter and TikTok where young people explore political issues but they might not go into depth on it and they'll say kind of like they'll use like microblogs and tweet like a few characters but I think we wanted to have a space for more kind of I guess just a place for there to be more space for them to talk and think and so to kind of disrupt this idea that young people are just flitting around from issue to issue and just not really coming to any conclusions and I think you are right in touching on the fact that actually there is this much more prevalent idea that there is this huge divide between what older people and younger people think and I think the only way to bridge it is by doing something like this. You're both on social media. I found you both on LinkedIn, which is yeah. perhaps the most grown up of all the social media platforms. Um, uh, Maddie, are you concerned that, um, that uh, social media has undermined the attention, the seriousness of, of your generation? Or is that another rather trivial generalization no i think i'm absolutely <laughs> concerned with that um you know even i experience it as i'm sure everyone else does on a daily basis just getting distracted by my phone and really just like wasting time in a way that isn't helpful doesn't bring me joy um but i think again this is really what we're trying to do is to create a space in which you know, I don't think virtual space has to function like that. I think that that we have to think a bit more imaginatively about how we cultivate virtual spaces, um, which are conducive to, to kind of deeper thoughts and to deeper conversations. And what the internet has provided, which is incredible, is just this ability to talk to people from anywhere. And I think that is something that as young people, we have tapped into um, and we've tapped into with Panoramic which is that we're able to communicate with uh, our writers who are from all over the world. And we can really reach out to anyone who we come across on social media, who we think, oh, look, they would, they're really passionate about this subject. They, it would be fascinating to have an article from them. And the internet really, and social media really facilitates that. So I think, you know, there are pros and cons and it's just about being a bit more thoughtful about how we create spaces and how we use um, the kind of like digital arena, if you like. Uh, Anya, as I said earlier, I'm in awe of the two of you having the nerve, the chutzpah, to actually start both a physical and an online magazine. As I said, there's a lot of stuff um, already online. 
Uh, and then there's a, a, a not, I haven't actually physically got the magazine yet. I think you've sent it to me. I'm looking forward to getting it. What's the economics of what you're trying to do? Is it easy to make money to make a real business with a magazine, either online or in physical form? I think it is incredibly, incredibly challenging to kind of gain any kind of profit from a business like this. Journalism and media is super hard to fund and we've received funding from our university, which we're super grateful for. But obviously in the long term, we're looking to kind of be entirely self-sufficient rather than only partially self-sufficient. And I think it is incredibly hard trying to break into a very crowded marketplace and finding enough people to kind of gain revenue from panoramic via kind of impressions and hits and ad placements on the website. But there's definitely ways and it's all about kind of cultivating a large enough audience and knowing the right ways to go about monetizing <coughs> that. But it is inc- you're right, it's incredibly difficult. Do, do you have a model? Are there examples of startup magazines? Uh, Tyler Cowan's uh, travel magazine, for example, I've forgotten what it's called. Uh, uh, he seems to have done quite well with it. Um, are there physical magazines that have succeeded that you think, well, we can be like them? I think it's really difficult to know what other magazines' financial situations are, as obviously nothing is transparent necessarily. So I would I would say that no, I don't necessarily have a magazine that I model our revenue model off of. But you know, you can definitely mirror kind of revenue streams and kind of guess at where different magazines how different magazines are funding themselves via what, say if they have a podcast and they have an ad placement in the podcast or if they have kind of ad placements in their videos or they have like display ads online you can kind of guess at that but I don't think you can ever truly know all the sources of funding they could be crowdfunding they could have gotten an investment you just don't know unless you've kind of done a full background check and you never really can so no in that sense I definitely don't have a magazine that I'm like oh this is our revenue model and also because we're trying to do something slightly different to what exists because we don't really want to be fully in print, but we don't want to just exist on a drip drip article basis. So actually, because we're trying something completely new for the future, actually, there is really nothing to base it off of. Uh, Maddie, are you doing this full time? Is this for both of you, your your full time gig, your job? Uh, I wish. Absolutely not. Um I'm obviously in my final year at university, so I have exams coming up, which is very stressful. And Anya has a full-time job. So it really is something that we wish that we were able to dedicate a lot more time to, but unfortunately it's just not possible. Um, and I think we're kind of like looking to the future and just gonna see where it goes in terms of how how much time we are able to allot to it. Um, but yeah, I think also speaking to Anya's question just briefly, um, <laughs> I think something that, you know, we're able to to see as well it's not just modeling ourselves off other magazines but also off um other sort of digital ventures for example using a patreon things like that and really tapping into this idea of like people who can pay and who feel very passionate about it would be willing to pay is something that i think we're sort of following quite closely as well do you have numbers i mean how many people are uh, are coming to the website reading your stuff um so i think we have on average, each article gets around 500 reads on the website, but this is kind of old numbers because we haven't, we've, our most recent issue is a print issue and we've spent a long time sort of making sure that the print issue is, 
is perfect, if you like. So that's maybe numbers from a year ago. Um, but hopefully we're going to bring out a couple sort of teaser articles from the print issue online. So I guess we'll be able to have much more accurate numbers at that stage. Anya, we talked a little bit about um, uh, the environment. The other issue which your generation seems to have building itself around in one, in one way or the other is mental health, particularly in COVID. Not again that mental health is an issue, isn't an issue for my generation. We've done all sorts of shows on teenage and young people's life in the lockdown. Did a show a few months ago with Thomas Insel on improving the, the broader mental health. We did a show a few weeks ago. It's actually one of my most successful shows. I never expected it to be this successful with Kylie Leddy on breaking the silence on the mental illness pandemic afflicting American young people. It's built off her new book, The Perfect Other, a memoir of my sister who committed suicide. Is that an issue which in um, in Panoramic you wanted to address in a particular way or is it again a, a bit of a cliche? Yeah, I think I think for us we felt like that is perhaps a bit of a cliche. I think there's this idea now that goes on that young people are like a little bit more unstable than they perhaps previously were. And I think that's very much something we're looking to challenge. And we're Why is that a, a figment of my generation's imagination? Is it convenient? Is it the paranoia of the parents, helicopter parenting? <laughs> I think, I mean, obviously as our society has evolved like things like prescription drugs have become more kind of readily available, especially in Western countries. And I think obviously the proportion of the population that is on drugs, antidepressants like surgery has increased. And therefore, as a result of that, we've kind of extrapolated that we do live in a more kind of depressed, unhappy society, which perhaps even if is the case, we do not think that that's a reflection in young people's ability to kind of take a step back and seriously analyze an issue. And so I think the even though I would, there's no issue in a way with being like, I have a mental health issue. I think that the kind of um, the stigma attached to it is that you are then kind of completely paralyzed and unable to kind of think for yourself and do a lot of things. And I think that something that our generation is really keen to do is be like okay I might have all of these like I might have a kind of mental health condition for example but nevertheless I'm still able to kind of reflect and think and like analyze content and take an issue and kind of digest it in my way, own way and put out a very thoughtful interesting piece no matter who I am no matter what I have and I think that's something that we're just we're trying to champion and we don't want to focus on this idea perhaps we're all like going a little bit crazy, if you will. Right. Um, Maddie, did you have any thoughts on this, on the issue of mental health and um, your generation? Uh, I mean, I agree with everything that Anya said. I also think that something that's really great about Panoramic is this idea of really showing how the political is so connected to the personal. And so all of our authors, they write in first person, they talk about their lived experiences and how these sort of huge issues like, um, you know, uh, re uh, revolution or protests, etc., how those have affected them personally and their family situations and their relationships with friends, etc. And so 
I think in that way, we are able to tap in much more to kind of like what's going on inside people's heads when they're going through these really unstable or huge political events, if you like. And yeah, I think that's really valuable. What do you think of some of the more prominent political figures of your generation? Greta Thunberg, of course, comes to mind and her rather dismissive comments about the the blah blah of the older generation she do you think she does any good i mean i think she's done huge amounts for the issue of of climate change and i think you know she's not she i think that she uses these comments and obviously these comments are very provocative um but they're not aimed at all older people. You know, I think she's really aiming those comments at a very specific subsection of the population who happens to be older, but also happens to have an incredible amount of power and the ability to make decisions that could change the lives of millions of people. And it's right to call out the decisions of those people and to make sure that they do consider the rest of the world when they're making those decisions. Um, so in that sense, I, I don't think it should be constructed as a generational thing. Um, it's really only focused on a, a minority of the of the population. Uh, Anya, what have you been reading recently? I always like to ask our guests. I mean, you're, you're, you've, you're publishing Panoramic, so of course you're reading that. And as I said, I urge uh, the readers, my viewers, to, to have a look at it. I think it's a very promising publication. What else have you been reading? Publications online or books? Anything good? Yeah, no, I think something that I really like to do is I like to, I'm not really a huge fan of reading non-fiction books necessarily, because I would kind of almost always turn to an article in that case. But I do really love a story, a true kind of autobiographical story written in fiction. And that's something that I've always veered towards. And something that I recently read that kind of on that theme is More Than I Love My Life by David Grossman. And I don't know if you've heard of it, Andrew, but he's this kind of amazing Israeli author. Yeah, I actually, yeah, no, well, I mean, I don't know him, but I've spent a little bit of time with him. Yeah, he is an amazing. Oh, really? How, how come? <laughs> we went to the, we were both doing a book tour in Brazil and we went to the Maracana wow. together and he had a terrible toothache. So I remember that. Very nice guy. <laughs> That's so random that you would just happen to no well back in 2015 he just had a had a sore wisdom tooth but yeah yeah um no oh, you I know him pretty well you're a big big fan of his stuff <laughs> yeah no I'm a big fan of him yeah I just I think specifically that book I just really loved how it based on a true story of three generations of kind of a Jewish family who are trying to kind of figure out their family history and they end up going on this like trip to Croatia where the grandmother in this story was actually tortured and it's based off a true story and the kind of the kid in the story is trying to make a documentary <coughs> this. so it's kind of through her camera lens and I just think it's a really kind of honest depiction of family life which isn't perfect and I just thought it was really really great. And you Maddie anything to recommend? Uh, yeah. I would really advise people if they haven't checked out already to check out some of the stuff that Tortoise Media puts out. I think it's um, it's a media company that I follow very closely. And I think a lot of the journalism that they do. What's is, it called? Sorry, you could spell that out. It's Tortoise Media. Oh, Tortoise, like the animal. Yeah, exactly. So it's slow reading. I know you're big fans of 
<laughs> the idea of um, slow reading, which um, slow news, which I think we all want. Hopefully this is a slow show, not too fast. <laughs> no, definitely. I think this absolutely is. Um, but yeah, they, they also focus on sort of slow news and really trying to 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 break up this this rapid news cycle and to take time to think about issues. And I think they they do succeed in that. Um, Finally, Maddie, uh, I'm asking all my guests this. Uh, who's in charge in uh, April 2022? Who runs the world? Um, well, I'm really hopeful that there is a space for um, for younger people to be involved. Uh, and I think, you know, we spoke a little bit earlier about social media, and I think we should really push that and just try and make sure that young people get their voices heard on social media more often. And Anya, what do you think? Who Who's in charge? Who runs the world in, in April 2022? I mean, the temptation not to say Vladimir Putin is very, very difficult. But um, I think who runs, I think it's so difficult to say, to pinpoint right now, which particular person was running the world. And it's actually, this question stumped me a little bit because I was like thinking like, gosh, have, like I'm looking through these lists of people thinking like, who who does run the world? And I think that kind of speaks to the fact that everything's kind of spread out and we have all these like different players and these corporations and big tech companies and kind of you don't know who's running what. And actually, I think it's just basically very, very difficult to pinpoint one leader. But I think social media is the answer and the amount, even the sheer amount of screen time each person has spent a day just kind of speaks to the fact that we have to focus our attention more on what social media is doing and how it's affecting us internally in terms of our ability to then produce longer form pieces for example and I think people who are there's a lot of kind of kind of gambling mentality and science that is going behind keeping people hooked on social media so I think just checking in with yourself and being like oh am I am I doing this am I being controlled because this has been put into place for me is something that I like to think about a lot 